Brian Scovell is in the football library today, uh, looking around at all the shelves of books and all the players' autobiographies and magazines and fanzines and videotapes and press. And, oh, look, I've got Bill Nicholson's book, which you have ghostwritten. Uh, Bill Nicholson, I've, I've been down his way several times when I used to go to Spurs. Uh, you call his Tottenham team of the 1960s the greatest ever to play in England. You call Bill Nick the best judge of a footballer, the Victorian values of thrift, hard work and discipline. Bill would travel all over the, the British Isles driving his own car. Uh, he got his latterly, his wife, Darkie. Her name was really Grace, uh, but she was a twin. And one was dark and the, and the other one was white. So uh, everyone called her Darkie. Bill Nicholson, uh, he, he would see players several times before making a decision whether, like si- signing John White, one of the great uh, inside forwards. Very nice man, gentleman. And actually, the, the book, a uh, ghost-written book uh, about Bill Nicholson, Harry Harris and I, Harry started it, uh, and I finished it. Right. But uh, my, my book later, as Bill, called The Football's Perfectionist. Perfectionist. Yes, Perfectionist. Yes, that was a better one. Ah, because you what, couldn't libel what? the dead, or because you could get other quotations from people? should say that house was feet from Bill Nicholson way it was right next to the ground so he more or less worked there no wonder Tottenham won everything um but I wonder if you agree with Bill Nick that um he was disillusioned he writes because in the 1970s defense was prioritized over attack uh yes the directors did the dirty on him Terry Neal was appointed and uh it was shocking incident uh, to give an Arsenal man to uh, give a, a post in uh, manager of Spurs. And uh, Terry Neal was a very engaging guy, but he wasn't good enough uh, to do the job. I found, and, uh, sorry, I found Terry Neal's book in a second-hand shop, and it was ghosted by Brian Scovell, who I believe is you. And I didn't know anything about Terry Neal. I think the only thing I knew was that he was Arsenal. But he managed Hull and managed Tottenham for a bit. Um, but w- how many sessions did you have with him when you were writing Terry's book? Quite a lot. Um, we were trying to publicise it, the book, and uh, he sold a art- uh, series of articles to a sex magazine because he uh, came up with a story that George Best uh, had uh, sex in uh, Arsenal dressing room before a game, whether or not. That's true, I don't know. But um, uh, the publisher then 
idea about publicizing it when uh, it had already appeared in a sex magazine. Oh, no. Again, publishing. Mm. A different world then. Uh, George Best, you write, was on a path of self-destruction and because he didn't play at the very, very top level, i.e. at the time the World Cup, uh, he does not um, figure in the same pedestal as some of the other geniuses, who we'll, we will mention, but I just while well, we're talking about ghosting um, in its old-fashioned meaning, it must have been more fun to be the ghost of Bobby Robson and, more importantly, Trevor Brooking, whose memoir you helped him write in a, a month. Uh, six weeks. Six weeks. Uh, I had a month off uh, to going to uh, Brentwood, where he lived. Uh, came home again in the evening and wrote uh, a few hundred words. Uh, got up early in the morning at five o'clock. In the, uh, it was in the summer, that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I wrote, uh, it was about 70 words. Lee Clayton, the former sports editor of the Daily Mail who works for now, uh, Talk Sport, Talk Sport yes. yes, nice man. He, he read it again recently and he said it, it wasn't it wasn't bad. He said because it was, uh, he's a Hammer fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it was rushed and uh, I don't think it's a good idea to rush books out. Well, he has since written another memoir, as far as I know, which takes in his time at the FA. And Trevor Brooking was one of the figures who I think was just being eased out uh, of TV when I started watching football in the 1990s. Now football as a product is unwatchable. I apologise. There are good people doing good things, but I can neither watch nor listen to it anymore. I find it very irritating. So God knows what you think of just any kind of broadcast. You say you watch 10 games a week, right? Well, the the best book was that uh, my one about Ted Kroger, the secretary. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he came some very good, strong stuff about Margaret Thatcher uh, and saying that hooliganism is uh, the FA's blamed uh, by Margaret Thatcher. And uh, he spoke up in a cabinet meeting and said that uh, it wasn't uh, our starting uh, organism it's your government <laughs> mm. so he got uh, got removed very quickly yes yeah that's a shame. Uh, of course but as we know through um people in charge um i was listening to paul gambaccini this morning who's one of my broadcasting heroes saying that there's an amerta there's a code of silence surrounding the establishment and a lot of people would call the Daily Mail establishment, Geordie Grieg, the great Paul Dacre. I don't know if you've had a drink with him. Uh, I got on very well with him uh, because he played in the cricket team, Daily Mail team. And so we spent weekends uh, with the uh, Daily Mail uh, team in Yorkshire. And uh, when I uh, retired, he, he wrote a very good uh, finished to his letter he said I salute you three or four words which uh, which may I was very proud that uh, he could say that because he's got a reputation of being aggressive yes. and swearing and, but I think uh, like Murdoch he's a paper man he actually absolutely right. loves his job and there were tales of Dacre just being at his desk at 12 and stopping the press because he didn't like particular articles but 
Um, I guess David English was very similar and Harry Evans. These are great, great men who in the days before the internet, they were the, they were the intermediators. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it's those days that I celebrate by including a lot of that. Cause this is what I, what I want to do in the football library is have all the old, sorry to call it old, but your first mail piece was 56 and you were at the daily sketch in 1966 this is black and white days. Uh, apparently, one Easter Monday... Actually, here's a quiz question for the uh, listener. Easter Monday, did you cover one, two or three games? In the north of England, yes. Um, I, I think uh, it was Burnley uh, in the morning, uh, Manchester City in the uh, second game, and uh, Sheffield Wednesday in the third. And you almost well, and you missed some of the Sheffield Wednesday one. Yes, well, well one match I arrived at half time, uh, and someone filled me in. Keith Miller, the uh, great cricketer, he used to uh, turn up at a cricket match near the end and got the story, oh, wow. and then, then went home. Uh, That's not on. And yet, no. I guess he was so ebullient that you just. Let it go. That is something... Uh, Julie Welch has written a book called The Ladies of Fleet Street, which is all about the, the, the introduction of women. Julie, you may have been in a press box with her. Julie is uh, a very good friend of mine, yes. Excellent. Yeah, she's yeah. probably... Sat, I spoke to her about a year ago. I spoke to her and also Rob White. And, uh, yeah, she was, she was just about to put her Gareth Bale picture back up. Um, she must have taken it down again now. But uh, Julie is fantastic. Did you get on in particular? I mean, you've named loads in this book. Uh, but who is your best friend in journalism? Uh, it was Brian Butler, the broadcaster. And Brian Moore was another one. I, I did two um, books with him. Uh, just this Christmas Day presents called The Big Match. And they sold well in Marks and Spencer's. Oh, interesting, uh, yeah. Brian Moore lived around the corner from Bromley and he died of heart attack. He, 20 he years was, ago this month. That's right. He was charged, discharged from the uh, hospital and uh, he was going up the stairs and collapsed and, uh, and uh, having a, two heart attacks. I'm a bit apprehensive going into the same hospital. <laughs> hmm, yes, and you do mention just the times in hospital, and we're talking in the week that the social care bill is being debated, and I don't want to get into that, but that's the kind of thing that we discuss in the Football Library's Lounge, um, which is dedicated to Andy Holt, who is a, he's at Accrington, and he came in, and he just, he is brilliant at talking about how just bankrupt football is, in every sense of the word. Uh, and one of the themes running through your memoir, Thank You, Herman Goering, The Life of a Sports Writer, is the change for the worse about access. And you said the drawbridge was pulled up in the late 70s. So what I want to know is, should we be going to be successful media officers rather than sports journalists today? Uh, yes, unfortunately, uh, the current uh, media people uh, aren't really proper journalists and had meetings many with the football league Lord McWhinney who died recently mm-hmm. was one and there's another one we uh, suggested uh, we need to do a Jimmy Hill because uh, when Jimmy 
was ni- 1962 when uh, he won the action against the football league, uh, lifting the uh, yeah. min- minimum wage. Inventing modern uh, football, I argue. Yeah, uh, uh, every night we had a conf- press conference in Fleet Street with Jimmy Hill, and he gave them uh, the account of what was happening, whereas the football league never said anything. Jimmy Hill rang me up in his first week and said, uh, do you want to spend a week with you, you in the commentary? And I can write stories every day. So I accepted, and uh, he, he, to- he told me some very good story, stories about uh, games and introducing trains to go away fans, the Sky Blues, and uh, all sorts of things. Uh, and I, I said to Lord McWinney, we need to give stories, not uh, try and keep them out. Managers and uh, officials should sit down uh, and sit, come up with a, a line in a newspaper the following day, uh, rather than uh, be deceptive and uh, deny everything. But uh, he, another uh, president of uh, wanted to do that, but uh, it was thrown out. So unfortunately, it's got worse and worse. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, I've got an idea for a job. How can I get involved in doing media handling training? Do you know anyone? Um, well, I'm, uh, my age, 85. <laughs> <laughs> what about progeny? I think I've uh, tried to help quite a few people over the years introduce them to uh, the people you really need to actually speak to yeah. in, a, in a wholesome way rather than defensive way. But you mentioned how um, you've been involved in, well, you advised Gareth Southgate to get the media on side. Was the media day in 2018 your idea? Because that was very successful. He, it was kind of an LFL, the FA put together just like a round table and journalists would go from table to table. Sorry, Alan Shearer said how he had to be... Well, maybe it was Chris Sutton, both of them. They had to say they had to be deliberately dull because they didn't want to cause any controversy. And you mentioned Mike Atherton. Paul Scholes is similar. Rio Ferdinand. They get trained and they're they're three-dimensional people. The the new one is Micah Richards. I don't know if you're a fan of Micah. Played for Man City. He's kind of Man City's cheerleader at the moment. Well, he's a jovial character, isn't he? But uh, I I think you need... uh more knowledge 
of the game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Chris Sutton, I, I know him. Uh, uh, I played cricket with him in Norfolk. And uh, Alan Shearer, I was there when he scored his hat-trick. Mm-hmm. And uh, age, uh, I think, 17 yes, or 18. Yes, Southampton at 17, yeah. That's right. He's got a rather dull voice. So um, does uh, Marcus Rashford. If you can media train Marcus Rashford, I'd vote for him. He needs training. Yeah. Urgently. Love him. Absolutely. Needs training. Uh, I'll get Gavin. Gavin can probably give him a discount. <laughs> or Well, he, he's in the Caribbean. He's, he's uh, covering the... Big Bash cricket. Oh, uh, great! Fifteen wow. hour a day in uh, two matches in uh, St Kitts. At this uh, at this well, point, I have to ask about uh, one of John Barnett's many clients, and David Masane, who I think was involved in Spurs for a while. But you wrote with um, Brian Lara uh, his memoir. Yeah. I just wanted to read the initial sentence. This is uh, in chapter twenty seven. In 1994, Brian Lara was voted Trinidad Sportsman of the Year. I should have been the most patient journalist of the year. I must have set a record of sitting around waiting for the greatest cricketer of the generation to turn up. But it was great fun. Probably my most enjoyable year in journalism. Yeah, they call it black time. I don't think that's an unfair thing to say because that is that's what they refer to. Soon come. Soon come. But uh, the first book I wrote about him was his uh, authentic uh, book. It's very difficult to get hold of him. And uh, right at the end of the book, I still had those 10,000 words to do. Mm. And uh, I had to uh, patch it, uh, a chapter or two to add on to it. And uh, someone told me that he was having a hush. Allegedly. Uh, oh no, I got told the other day you're not supposed to say allegedly. Allegedly, yes. allegedly just doesn't work. But yeah. One of, one of my best stories about him was uh, uh, two or three years later at Lords, I was coming up the stairs in the museum at Lords, and there he was, uh, having not met my uh, more definitive book had come out, uh, and I thought, is he going to be nasty or not? But he turned uh, as I put my hand out to shake his hand and he did the same he turned around and looked and said hi so I turned around to see who who was above and uh, he rushed past me giving me the bum's rush oh. so uh, one of his lawyers was there as well and I thought hello he's, he's going to sue me but he didn't actually he, uh, no, he's a decent guy, but he's uh, a bit chaotic. chaotic. Uh, yes, he doesn't seem to be involved in the Sky coverage, in the people like Mark Ramprakash, Michael Vaughan, no. the great Whispering <laughs> Death, who it should have a statue as well, actually. Michael That's Holding. right. Well, Michael Holding is a good mate of mine. Oh, wicked. Um, have you read his book yet, or have you seen the press uh, for it? Well, I've, uh, no, I haven't read it, but uh, excellent idea to come out yeah uh, it's in the football uh, library not, it's in the football yeah. library because Thierry Henry has uh, spoken of yeah. Guadalupe he's, he's on the committee I formed to, for the statue of Leary Constantine mm. he's supporting that and uh, also Gary Sobers uh, Ian Bishop uh, Sir Trevor MacDonald 
one or two other people. Gosh. Uh, and Laura Constantine's grandson. God. Sorry, I've just got to pick up all these names you've dropped. But that's, that's the nature. It's the nature of the game. You're a, it's a contact business. Um, that's right. How will history judge Joseph Blatter? Blatter, I sat next to him in an aircraft flying from Belfast back to London. Very smarmy, uh, smooth, speaking a language, six languages, uh, womanizer and dodgy character making uh, filching millions of dollars out of his FIFA into his pocket. How he got off from uh, jail, I don't know. Yeah, and he would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for that meddling Trump Tower resident, Chuck Blazer. Um, sorry, we're wrapping up soon, so I'm rattling through these. But uh, Mark Clattenburg has a book out, written by Craig Hope, who has a byline in the mail these days. I don't know if you'll read that. But um, the one I'm interested in is, Whose Side Are You On, Ref? Written back in 1973 with Norman Burtonshaw. You're going to have to tell yes. the George Best story. Oh, yes. Um, well, in 1971, uh, the Football League wanted to tighten up on... Uh, bad behaviour on the football field, kicking people, uh, and uh, Norman Burtonshaw, who's down 94, still alive, very fit man, plays golf every day, uh, and I got friendly with him, and uh, he uh, wanted to do a book exposing the uh, dirty players, and also Don Reavy, the manager of Leeds, Ooh. who used to write the letters in the dressing rooms of the away side, promising all sorts of things, presents and whatever, uh, and a very corrupt man. In terms of, uh, with his background, he, uh, poor background, he uh, needed uh, to um, make money when he did when he was a manager. Uh, and Norman Burtonshaw was refereeing a game at Arsenal, and I was there. And uh, uh, refer uh, George Best said, F off Nor uh, to Norman. And uh, Norman whipped out his book and took it, sent him off. Uh, and when the uh, case came up to the FA, Norman Burnshaw was there, and uh, he confirmed that, that uh, was said by George Best, but the FA accepted the dis view that uh, Willie Morgan uh, used the F word, not George Best. The reason was that because uh, the football clubs, when they uh, invited uh, Manchester United, George Best would add about 10,000 on Onto the gate. The gate. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, they, it was a put-up job. Uh, I, I wrote another piece of, uh, about uh, David Coleman, the first time I've ever been threatened to sue. The story was quoted by Alan Hardacre, and I said to uh, there was a man, uh, Coleman was commentating in the match, Chelsea versus Newcastle, and uh, I noticed that um, David Colgan was wrong about the offside rule, 
No, not at all. No. So he wanted to uh, give evidence uh, for Hardacre, and Hardacre wrote to, wrote to me saying that uh, my quotes were correct, and uh, I'll um, sell uh, any last piece of my furniture to pay for the costs. <laughs> I believe the score of that case was 1-0 to you. Yes. Yeah, so I couldn't resist. Right. Couldn't resist. Uh, thank you, Herman Goering. The Life of a Sports Writer is available. And I've just found a copy for about £3 of Whose Side Are You On Ref, which uh, goes into the Football Library alongside other referee memoirs. I guess this is the best one because you've collaborated. Um, yeah. I haven't asked you about Bella Gutman, but... The, the moral of the story is talk to the opposition. If England are playing a match, go for the opposition because that's more fun. And you obviously got very close to the player of the tournament in the 1966 World Cup. I actually spoke to a Benfica fan and they said just he, it was like a Valentino or a, a Hollywood starlet when Eusebio died because he was so beloved, but also um, much like Brian Lara, chaotic to say the least. Did you follow Eusebio's career and life? Well, a friend of mine, Francisco Santos, was a trainee journalist staying with me in the YMCA in Croydon when I was young. He interpreted with the Portuguese team and I got to know Bella Goodman, very friendly man. He wanted to be a manager in England. I got him to dress up in the cricketer uniform and we had some nice scoops with him. He, he used to call me Mr. But he was a very polite man and very sporting. When Alex Stock, uh, Stepney, made that great save at the end, uh, he went up to him and congratulated, shook, shook his hand. And that's the sort of thing that we're missing uh, sports. Last night, for example, I've never seen so many players knocked over from behind, both sides. It was appalling. The referee should have stopped the first push and uh, would have been booked. Yeah, this is the England-Poland game um, when England England should have won, but from the narrative is England boshed about by Poland who wanted to get on... Well, because they know, they know Jack Grealish is the most fouled player, but it's the product now. I mean, I'm not interested in the Qatar World Cup at all. Shouldn't be going ahead. Shouldn't be there. I hope you and, and Brian Glanville both get to see it because it's football. But this is it's the natural end point. You're looking at what's going on with Paris Saint-Germain, who were a club that did not exist when you were first a journalist. It was Saint-Étienne who were the biggest team in France. Um, and now Qatar are virtually bought football they bought it uh, well i've never been there actually i've been there at the poland game and most of the european ones mm-hmm. but uh, not unfortunately uh, the french one uh well uh, i see it's a court case now has started uh where there's people were being shot outside the football stadium wasn't it uh, oh yes yeah well the game was going on and they had to postpone it because of what was going on. That's right. 
Um, yeah. but I, I'm not. I'm not optimistic about elite football. You've been following, or maybe you weren't because you were in hospital. How much did you read about the Super League and the rejection? Oh, the Super League. Oh, yes, and it's I going think, on at the moment. Fever pitch, you can see it all in the football library. Yes, yes but it didn't yeah. tell the story. They were using players as glorified... Puff pieces. Uh, but the league was formed by uh, force. Edwards, Mark Edwards, David Dean, one of my good friends, uh, who went to America and looked at the NFL... And, Treated terribly uh, by Arsenal. Re- Absolutely terribly. Vic Wakeling at Sky. That's right, Sky. All uh, dodgy uh, uh, aspects of the game. They've got too much power, these people who need to be stopped. Yeah. Good luck. It's all thanks to Jimmy Hill. Jim Fix. Jimmy Hill. Ultimately. Um, I just wanted to finish. There is an amazing picture of Stanley Matthews at the age of 65 playing football. He looks amazing as you'd expect for someone who runs on a beach for decades. Um, I just wanted to know your front five, because one of my parlour games is you can only have 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You have to leave some people out. So you, you talk about the journalist being part of the Jimmy Greaves club. So I guess Greavesy is in the team. Eusebio's in the team. Pele, whom you're very kind about, is in the team. Yeah. Uh, who else is in the front? Who's on the wing? Interesting, because Peter Kenny Jones has written a book about him, and uh, I I asked him all about it. And uh, maybe your did you watch him play in person, Billy Little? Uh, Well, in nineteen sixty-six, he just retired. Mm -hmm. But uh, as a person, he was a great guy. He was in your trade. He went into journalism. Yes, well, in nineteen sixty-six, the sports editor Bob Finley wanted to have a. A Scotsman, famous Scotsman footballer, to comment about the World Cup final. We, incidentally, I, I saw the match in the I-66 recently, and the, low, the standard was uh, extremely low. Bad passing, people falling over <laughs> in uh, wet, wet conditions. Because Greavesy didn't anyway, play. Yes, yeah. that's right. Anyway, Bobby Moore was the only uh, excelled. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he's the only player excelled. But uh, the uh, Bob Finley wanted Billy Liddell to write an article about the match, and uh, Billy Liddell wanted uh, was going to bring his wife, but uh, uh, she couldn't come. So my wife, Audrey, saw her first game at 1966 at Wembley with Billy Liddell. And uh, I had to write his uh, works. Uh, I'm not sure whether uh, he got in, but uh, one of the uh, Billy Liddell's secrets of the 527 goals he scored uh, he had a big collar, 
eighteen-inch collar and powerful muscles in his neck. So he was one of the great hitters, uh, hitters of all time, mm -hmm. and and a nice guy, JP, journalist, diligent man. Jimmy Armfield was exact was exactly the same. Nice guy, a good loss, and Bobby Robson. Uh, Bobby Robson actually coached you. You became an FA coach under the tutelage of Bobby Robson. So were you yeah. cheering for him? Uh, you you broke an exclusive, famously. Uh, in, uh, yeah. yeah, passionate football man. You'd ring him up and say, uh, he'll, he'll say, oh, I'm busy. And uh, half an hour later, we're still talking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, my best book is, is about the Cobbold family because uh, it should have been a TV series. I offered the uh, idea to Lord Fellows, the man ah, who did Downton Manor. Yeah. Uh, and he said that he's a good idea, but he said he was going to do a, a series on football. But it didn't come out. Uh, it, 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 uh, it did. It did last year. Yeah, what was it called? It was called The English Game or The Beautiful Game. It was roundly poo-pooed as being like Downton United. But, yeah. Um, yeah, football is a difficult thing to dramatise. Um, well, the thing is, uh, the Cobbold chairman were terrifically great sense of humour. Uh, he was taking them, uh, both of them were uh, taking the mick out of Bobby Robson, uh, the Ipswich players, Bob Lord, all sorts of people. It would have made a good series. Well, uh, I'm not doing very much in the next few years, so I'd love to... Maybe with Tom. Um, you heard Tom a couple of days ago as you're listening to this, and um, there's, there's a really good gene pool in your family. So Tom's... Uh, there's a picture here of the wedding day, uh, and it's uh, Lucy Teodorchuk, nay O'Sullivan. Yes, Tom's mother. Tom's mum. Was it your wedding? Yes. Wonderful. Uh, the wedding at Brompton Oratory. Lovely venue. Wow. Uh, in yes. October 1965, you were married for 35 years. And yes. the, well, I, I really love this. The, the top chapter and the last chapter of this book, uh, it's love. I mean, football's great, cricket's great, but you found the love of your life, Audrey. And this book oh, is a, a complete testament to her. Yes. was a series on great wives recently on radio four and so i would like to add audrey to the great wife canon because without her brian scovell maybe you wouldn't have gallivanted around the world what is the stat i will finish with this stupid stat of like 130 countries uh 92 sorry uh, i over egged it 92 <laughs> countries 12 yeah. near-death experiences and a partridge in a pear tree um <laughs> So, well, final question. Is there another book in you? Uh, well, uh, yes. Um, it's called uh, Nicked. Uh, parking charges and how to beat them. <laughs> but, uh, but it's uh, the last year as a pensioner 
beating the system. I've written about 350 footballers, personalities going uh, uh, through the year, uh, like John Terry, who got fined with £1,000, disabled parking fence. About half a dozen publishers like it, but uh, they decided not to print it. So I'm still wading through. It's not just about parking. It's uh, people I've met different from uh, my uh, book about Thank you, Herman Goring. Uh, actually, I spoke at I speak at public uh, events and universities and schools and business clubs, sports clubs. Uh, I, but with my illness, I missed out. But at Portsmouth University, some years ago, I uh, asked how many eighty uh, students, how many heard of uh, Herman Goring. And the answer was two, and, and one thought he, he was a Bundesliga manager. Two out of uh, 80. Goodness. Well, that era yeah. of history, if you go back the other side, it was the American Civil War, 80 years before that. So history is easily forgettable, but then you do need statues. And is there a website for this Leary Constantine statue? Is there, uh, is there somewhere I can learn about it? Yes, uh, yeah, a really, really good DCMS. Yeah, good, good man. man. He is in, uh, on our committee to try and uh, raise enough money for uh, a statue of, of Leary, oh. who, who was one of the great all-round cricketers of all time. Uh, and uh, he died, unfortunately, at 69, which was uh, a young age, bronchitis. Mm-hmm. His achievements uh, of now, um, people today wouldn't have heard him, but uh, we need to tell this story of, of uh, uh, a man who changed the diversity of this country. Absolutely. A pivotal, pivotal figure. Much like yourself, uh, 65 years a cub reporter and still going after all these years. Uh, thank you, Herman Goering, the life of a sports writer published by Amberley, and uh, if you look where you look, there will be the entire canon of Brian Scovell. All of the football books are in the football library, and I'm sure we'll make a donation to the Leary statue in due course. But I wish you a good evening. Uh, Have a wonderful autumn. Be in good health. And uh, remember, Brian Glanville's birthday, Friday the 24th. Is it? Yes. So send him a card. Thank you very much indeed. Just like the library! Just like-